it will change everything. It doesn't mean everything it gets like perfect. It means that you're changed, that you're different in the midst of everything. Experiencing Jesus changes everything. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You probably remember, those of you that have come out of darkness into the light, you probably remember the day that you walked out of deep darkness into the marvelous light. For at one time you were darkness, Ephesians 5, 8 says, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, Ephesians 5 and verse number 8. Once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. We like to think really good about ourselves. It's important to have self-esteem. It's important to have these kinds of concepts. And yet the fact of the matter is, Amazing Grace has it right, that saved a wretch like me. Without God, in the dark, I was wretched. Uh, uh, let's see, Robert Schuller changed the words to that song. He didn't like that saved a wretch like me. He was the, the positive thinking guru. And so Robert Schuller changed it that saved a soul like me. Well, I'm glad he's a soul. But the fact is, I was a wretch apart from Christ. I was hopelessly lost. I had no ability to believe in God other than God gave grace to me to believe. And he's given that to you as well. And I invite you, recognize the darkness and come into the light. It says in 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen, a, royal, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Turn to someone and say, you look marvelous. Ma Isn't that in a movie? You're supposed to have an uh, like a Italian accent or something? Marvelous, all right? Now, Jesus said of himself, I am the light of the world. And so today we pick up the concept that Jesus is the light of the world. He said it about himself. I am the light of the world. Again, Jesus spoke to them, John 8. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the spiritual and moral light for all creation. He is not a spiritual light. He is not a moral light. He is the spiritual light and the moral light. We have a world that wants to say that reality is determined by what you hold. Uh, Postmodernity would be, if, if you've studied postmodernism, I don't know what's after that. There's got to be something better than postmodernity. But postmodernity, postmodernism teaches that it's only true if you believe it, and then it's true for you. And uh, I tried it. I'm a millionaire. <laughs> but it didn't work for me. You know what I'm saying? Reality, you do not create reality by your belief. Reality exists apart from belief. If I have a, a glass of Clorox up here and you think it's water and you drink it, do you think it has no impact on you because you believe it's water? Or does the Clorox do some damage to your intestinal capacities? You know what I'm saying? Uh, no, belief doesn't make it or break it. The fact is Jesus is the light of the world. 
Buddha wants to say that Jesus is a light. Mohammed wants to say he's a great prophet. Atheism wants to say there is no light. Uh, 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 um, Secularism wants to say that uh, wealth and creation and human capacity is the light. But the Bible stands up and is as clear as day and says, no, Jesus is the light. He is the moral and spiritual light for all creation. Our country has fallen in love with uh, fake light. We've heard of fake news. Our country has fallen in love with fake light. You know, the world's largest church is in Seoul, Korea. And the world's largest Buddhist temple is in Los Angeles. Because in the West, we're tired of the same old Jesus is the light. In the West, we need some superstar like, uh, I won't say names, we need some superstar to fall in love with Scientology and Madonna to fall in love with Kabbalah and somebody else to fall in love with L. Ron Hubbard and somebody else to fall in love, uh, uh, Richard Gere, fall in love with Buddhism. And, and we Christians, we just keep paying their bills, man. They're getting rich through Christian money. Well, they propagate Jesus isn't really a light at all. Brothers and sisters, our sermon series this Christmas is declaring Jesus is the spiritual and the moral light. And because of Jesus, we have any ability to see anything whatsoever. This is what drives everybody crazy. The exclusivity of Jesus Christ. When you say Jesus is a great way to God, people are all in. When you say Jesus is a wonderful teacher, they're all in. When you say he is the only way to the Father, you're labeled a radical, you're labeled dangerous. Brothers and sisters, if that's the case, then we're dangerous because our Bible says he is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. You know, when you're in darkness, you don't know who you are, why you are, where you are, when you are, what you are. And so post-modernity is all about figuring out who you are. It's figuring out, uh, do you like men or women? Do you like boys or girls? Do you like adults or kids? It's all about trying to figure this stuff out. That's what you do in the dark. In the dark, you're lost. You don't know who you are. You don't know where you are. You don't know why you are. But those of us that have come to the light, Jesus Christ... That is no longer part of us, because in the light, we know who we are. Who am I? I am a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I'm a people belonging to God. That's who I am. I'm not drifting around trying to decide this morning, who am I? No, I know who I am. I am a child of the Lord. I know why I am. People are trying to figure out, why am I on the planet? Uh, Why am I here? I don't ever struggle with that, and I hope you don't ever struggle with that. Why are you here? Because in darkness, you didn't know. In the light, you know I'm here because my Father God loves me. I am here as an act of love. We won't get into the details of procreation, but theoretically, it was love of a husband and a wife that produced you. You are the product of human love. 
spiritually speaking, you are the product of a father who loves you. You are intentional. You are purposeful. He knew you before you were formed. Check this verse out. Before I formed you, I knew you. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified you and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. You're not in the dark wondering, why am I here? You're in the light. You're here because of a father who loved you. It may be that you were born through an act of violence. It may be that your, your conception was not intentional by human beings. We regularly dedicate children who have been born through violence that the mother did not wish happened to her. And when we dedicate those children, we realize that it might have been by some kind of act of violence or something unplanned on this side, but we understand every child ever born is born through a heavenly father who loves them with an everlasting, undying, compassionate love. They might have said you were an accident, but God said you're on purpose. He designed you because he loves you. Why am I here? Because my father loves me. Where am I? I am in the kingdom of the son he loves. I'm not trying to figure out where I am in life. I'm not trying to measure this, that. Or, that's what I did in darkness. But when I came into the light, I know exactly where I am. I am in the kingdom of the son God loves. And in that kingdom, he is my king. My duty is to do the guidance of the king. My duty is to do the, uh, let's say, regulations and ambiance of the kingdom. Where am I? I'm in the kingdom of the son he loves. When am I? I'm here for such a time as this. I'm here for this moment. I know some people say, I wish I lived in the 1800s. Not me. I tell you, I love the internet. I like my phone. You know, can you, the coldest I've been in is 68 below with a 100 mile an hour wind. Can you imagine that uh, in the 1800s in Barrow? No, no, uh, no, no uh, gas, no electricity, no heat. Can you imagine living back then? I'm glad I live right now. Well, that's good because I can't change it. If you can't change it, get used to it. That's kind of a good motto. But guess what? Life is a stage. And God is the producer of the drama. And I get to be a character actor on the stage of life in this very moment. It's my time on the stage. It's your time on the stage. Seven billion other people on the planet. It's their time on the stage. And you and God are writing an incredible play of your life. You're adding things to your life. You're taking things out. You're continuing things in your life because this is your moment. You were put here for such a time as this. Every second on the stage counts. Every moment on the stage counts. My, uh, our friend, Randy Valamont, I forgot he had a, a, a colonoscopy, I think it was, and he had a little polyp. He's a pastor of a mega church in Atlanta, a friend of Bill and mine. So a couple weeks ago, he goes in and has the polyp removed. It's done every day around the nation. It's an everyday common thing. And he got an infection and died. He didn't plan to miss this Christmas. He didn't plan. He's not missing Christmas. He's got a better one than us. But he didn't plan to not be there with his grandbabies around the tree this Christmas. 
His time on the stage ended more quickly than he thought. It was about that rattled me, Bill. I looked at my little grandson, who's two, my other grandson, who's about one, or his I looked at my little grandkids and I thought to myself, every second, what if I'm off the stage before I'm ready? I'm planning to live to 120 with health and clear-mindedness. My wife said, your mind's already gone. You're not going to make it, so I don't know about that. But I'm on the stage for such a time as this. You're on the stage for your kids. You're on the stage for your friends. You're on the stage for your world. We don't do the dark thing. Why am I here? When am I here? We know exactly. He put you right here, right now, with intentional, purposeful uh, ideological ideas about who you are and what you can be. What am I? I'm a child of God. I'm not in the dark wondering, what am I? I don't, I don't struggle with the purposefulness. I, I'm my beloved's and he is mine. And his banner over me is love. And I'm pursuing him. I'm going after the king. I'm his son. I, I'm, I'm in his, uh, Jesus is my older brother. Any of you have an older brother that was your bouncer? Anybody have an older brother that was your bouncer? Nobody? Just you two and me? My brother was my bouncer because I was little, and people always beat me up. My brother would always protect me. He was my older brother. And uh, a few times it got nip and tuck with a few weapons, I might add. And uh, that's not so good. But I got another older brother who doesn't need weapons because his warfare is not carnal, but it is mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Look out, Satan. My big brother Jesus is watching me because I'm his brother because we have the same dad. Praise God. I'm not in the darkness. I know who I am by his grace. Well, our theme, Jesus is the light of the world, today we want to look at the word world for just a couple of minutes. We talk about Jesus is the light, and I, I think you get that, but I want to emphasize today the light of the world. In a roundabout way, I have a strange altar call. I want you to start spending money in Mountain View. I want you to take your car and buy gas in Mountain View. I want you to eat at restaurants in Mountain View. I want you to buy groceries in Mountain View. And I'll tell you why at the conclusion of my message. Consider the international and cultural expansiveness of the birth narratives of Jesus. So here's this, uh, this incredible deal. And, and the angels appear to shepherds. Now these aren't poor People that can't get any other job. They're not like the lowest employment category of Israel. These shepherds are Jewish priests. We know they're Jewish priests because on uh, it's 99.9% sure that these are the fields where the priests raise the sheep to be the sacrifice at Passover. I've read extensively on this. You can trust that I know what I'm talking about. I don't want to do an hour lecture on sheep. But trust me, it's true. These were Jewish priests raising the Passover lamb. And if you are going to raise the lamb to be the sacrifice on Passover, you should probably get the birth announcement of the, new, of the real lamb that's going to be the real sacrifice. So we got Jewish dudes there. Then the Magi. Magi is a word only used for Zoroastrian priests from Iran. It's not used for anybody else. 
And so we know, but we don't know exactly where they're from, but we know they're Persian, Zoroastrian priests. And so here's this birth of Jesus thing rolling, and we already have an international multicultural thing going on. We have Jewish priests and Zoroastrian priests. We also then have King Herod. King Herod is an Edomite, E-D-O-M-I-T-E, an Edomite. Anybody know what an Edomite is? An Edomite is not the son of Isaac. An Edomite is the son of Esau. Esau's progeny is called, are called Edomites. And so King Herod is not a Jew. We have Jewish priests, we have Zoroastrian priests, and now we have an Edomite in the Christmas story. And then it says, when Quirinius was governor, he was the governor of Syria. The way it works is you have the big region called Syria, and Quirinius was governor. They had subregions, and Herod was a king of one of the subregions. He was a Roman aristocrat, Quirinius was. So now we have Jewish priests, Zoroastrian priests. We have an Edomite, and we have a Roman aristocrat. We have one of those uh, really rich dudes kind of filled with power and influence and wealth at the birth of Jesus. And as if all the nations coming together at the birth of Jesus isn't enough, God throws down some angels for good measure. I like this sentence. The guy said, God let angels be at his birth to let it be known how this event is regarded in heaven and should be regarded on earth. Jesus' birth in heaven was such a magnificent thing that he sent angels to remind us that here it needs to be a magnificent thing as well. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. In your notes I underlined, I bring you good news. I underlined it, I italicized it, and I made it bold. Because in that word in Greek is something you would never catch in the English. Because translating from language to language doesn't come directly across. But nonetheless, in the Greek, the original expression in Luke 2.10 is, Euangelizomai humen charan megalane. Okay, it doesn't mean anything, does it? Euangelizomai. Euangelion. Evangel. Evangelist. What the angel said in Luke 2.10 is, I evangelize you today with the good news. That's what the angel said in the original language. I evangelize you unto great joy. In other words, God did not accidentally allow the nations of the world to come to the manger, but he was evangelizing the world even in the birth of Jesus. A whole world came to the manger before the baby in the manger could send us to the whole world. 
Here's Jewish priests, Persian priests, Roman aristocrats, Edomites, and angels. And it's all about evangelism from the very beginning. I titled this series, This Changes Everything. Jesus is the evangel. Jesus is the message of the evangel. And he is the evangelist. He is the light of the world. And you and I are followers of Jesus today because we saw the light of that evangelist and we turned toward him and we were converted. Our sin was cleansed. Our sin burden was carried. Our sin debt was paid. Everything changes when we encounter Jesus. But then something else changes. We are changed from darkness to light. Can you imagine this in Matthew 5, 14? You are the light of the world. Me? I thought you were just saying I'm darkness. I was darkness. You were darkness. But when we came to the light, in the greatest sermon ever preached in the history of sermons, Jesus pointed to his disciples. He said, you are the light of the world. As the light of the world, we are sent into all the world. He said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink inly deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Who are the people that this happens to? It's the people who are going into all the world to proclaim the light of the gospel to all creation. The power is in Sharing your light with the world. So let's just say, I say, oh dear Jesus, this is your son Kent. I know who I am, why I am, where I am, what I am, when I am. I am asking you for many blessings. He has every reason to ask why. Doesn't he? Bless me indeed, what did Jacob say to Esau, uh, Jacob and Esau said to their father. Oh, bless me indeed. We have, the, we have the prayer of Jabez. Oh God, bless me. Bless me, God. And I think he has the reason to say why. Hey, Kent, you're asking me to bless you. I'd like to ask your reason. Why? Because I want to be blessed. That's why. I want a Porsche Turbo 911 Carrera. I, I want to win the racquetball championship of the universe. I want to, okay, I don't want to bless that. Uh, no. why, why should I bless you, Kent? Oh, I'm a different guy now. Because I'm going to take my, this little light of mine, I'm going to go into all the world, I'm going to find the darkest place, and I'm going to let my light shine. He goes, That's, I want to bless that light. I want to bless that light. He doesn't bless you so you can have three more snow machines in the garage, unless those snow machines are used to take the light to the dozens of Alaska villages that have no gospel light at all. He says, you know what? You're the light of the world. I want, you to, I want you to realize the power is when you take the light into the darkness. When it's the most dark, that's where I like to pour out that demon-busting, serpent-carrying, tongue-talking, deadly poison, drinking power of God in your life. This little light of mine. That light that changed everything for me. 
is sending me into the world to see everything change for those who believe our report. This is why I want you to spend your money in Mountain View. There's 100 languages in Mountain View. And you say, you know what, God, I'm in the middle of my career. I'm in the middle of my career. I just can't leave and go share the light in the darkness. I'm in my career. Okay, so, so, so God says okay with that. I don't think he is, but let's just say he is. He'd say, okay, you can't go into all the world to preach the gospel. You, I get it. You're, you're afraid of food they eat overseas. You're afraid of the bugs they have. You're afraid of the, the hotel beds there. I, I get it. You're afraid of that. But couldn't you at least drive to a neighborhood that has a hundred languages and buy your McDonald's there? Couldn't you go there to Mekong and buy your food there? Couldn't you go to Hulands and buy your food there? Couldn't you go to Red Apple and buy your groceries there? A rest, uh, store owned by our people in our church, Fatra's Asian Grocery on Mountain View Drive. Can't you go to Fatra's and buy your groceries there? And while you're there, can't you let this little light of mine shine? You getting it? You see, as the light of the world, I'm a light bearer. I am bearing change. I am a light bearing change agent. And I don't, you know, uh, this is a real common preacher talk. Hey, let's change the world. All right, you guys want to change the world? Yeah, we won't. But we can change our world. I can't change the world. But I maybe can have a little light in my next door neighbor's life. My next door neighbor's been shut off to me for quite a while. They, they aren't married. They live together. They know I'm a pastor. They're a little nervous. But in the last couple of months, my neighbor's been warming up to me. He's now a manager at Walmart. And uh, he's coming over and talking in my driveway. And we're talking. I can't change the world. But I hope I can shine the light for Dave. By the way, my neighbors on three sides are Dave's. King David's, that's what they're going to be. You know, I can't change the world, but I can bear the light and be a light-bearing change agent. You don't need to change your company. Just change the area around where you are in your company. One of the books called uh, uh, Good to Great, basically one of its great, uh, they made it real simple to understand, but one of its great understanding is that you can create pockets of health in any organization. You can create pockets of health. And you say, my job is just so unhealthy. Well, don't let it be unhealthy. Create a pocket of health there by shining your light. Well, my company is so big. I, no, just shine, make, make the light of the gospel shine in your part. Make a pocket of health where you are. Well, my neighborhood, uh, somebody was saying, you know, I, I feel bad for you. Every time something bad happens, it's over in your side of town. Like, don't be feeling bad for me. I'm the light of the world in this side of town. Yeah, we can go to the light store, this little light of mine down at the light store. Let's go to Lowe's in the light section and shine our lights. Or let's go where it's dark and shine our lights. Praise God. Well, in another sense, I'm not the light. I'm the mirror. I go into all the world reflecting the light of Jesus. The Bible says in Corinthians, and we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord. The word beholding is the word reflecting in a mirror. 
And we all with unveiled faces reflect in a mirror the glory of the Lord. I don't have to get the whole light thing figured out. I just have to get the mirror cleaned up. And when the mirror is cleaned up, the light of Jesus hits that mirror, and that mirror reflects and refracts the beautiful light all over the place. I'm a mirror who reflects the Lord's glory. With PTSD, I really didn't want to go to Yad Vashem. Yad Vashem is the Holocaust memorial in Jerusalem. It's one of the hardest places for me to visit on the planet. I did get to see Corrie Tin Boehm, her tree. I saw Schindler's tree. They planted a tree for everyone who saved uh, Jewish people. I think you had to save 100 Jewish lives. If you saved 100, you get a tree planted in Yad Vashem. And then they round this corner. I could handle that okay, but you round the corner and there's the children's memorial because 1.5 million Babies were killed by Hitler. 1.5 million. I kind of think I can't do it. It's down underground. I think I can't do it. It's, I can't handle the thought of this violence and wickedness. But I need to just for the kids if for nobody else. For those 1.5 million kids. I go down. I'm leaning against the wall because the emotions are so strong. And I round the corner and it's full of lights. 1.5 million lights that look like this. 1.5 million lights. One for each baby who died. And then our tour guide said, really, there's only five candles in here there's one point something million mirrors. And it hit me. I'm not much of a candle, but I can be a mirror. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. He left home, and the nations came to his birth. You and I leave home, and watch God bring the nations to you to see your light. He's not here right now. He went over to the West Campus to uh, Pastor David's service. But a guy that got saved here about five years ago, he just came back to Alaska for Christmas, and I got to see him. He's a Syrian Kurd. His name is Jimbo. He's a Syrian Kurd. He gave his heart to Christ in this place. And I told him, it's so meaningful to me that you came back today. You've been gone five years, but you came back today. On the day that I'm saying I'm not much of a candle. But I can be a mirror where even Syrian Kurds can come to Christ. Where even those people that are in the deepest darkness can see that this changes everything. And accept the light themselves. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to study the fact that you are a world, Jesus. Go ye into all the world. I am the light of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. No, God, I'm not intended just to hang out in the light store. 
I'm not intended to be at Lowe's or Home Depot in the lighting section. I'm designed to pack up my bags, hold my shoulders back, walk into the darkness, and put the mirror up to your candle and let the world see the beauty, the beauty of the light of the world. Lord God, I thank you that you have called each of us Just like the Zoroastrian priests, the Jewish priests, the Edomites, the Roman aristocrats, you've called us to let the light shine and have those kinds of people see the light. You've called us, God, to let the light shine in every way. You've called us, God, to be an example of the refracting and reflecting light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask today, God, as we light candles surrounded by aluminum foil representing mirrors, that you would touch us with a powerful anointing to be the light of the world wherever we go. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Coming to you is a candle and aluminum foil. When you have one, come on up. I'll light your candle and you light somebody else's. Let's light this place up with the love of Jesus Christ.